All right. Welcome, comrades, to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is September 7th, 2023. I want to thank you all for being here. Our class tonight is going to be a presentation from the Animal Rights Commission of the Party of Communists USA. Uh, the presentation is entitled, Why Animal Rights? I'll let comrade give just a little bit of a brief introduction before the class. Thank you. Uh, you'll notice that at the beginning we talk a lot about dialectical materialism. And you need to understand, even though we have covered this subject many times before, there are so many different examples of what dialectical materialism means. And the interesting thing is this animal rights presentation gives you a chance to look at a real-life example. So I just want to let you know, you may, it may throw you a curve, why is that in here for animal rights? But that is the reason. Also, uh, Comrade is our chair for animal rights, has been our chair for about a couple of years. And um, he'd like to be, uh, give a statement, too, before we start. Yes, I just want to say that um, it's not about veganism, it's more about quality of life. And that you want the process of the animals who've been tortured and add all kinds of chemicals in them to your plate. You just want to make sure that everybody have a good quality of life from the workers of the plant and even to the animals. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. D'Angelo, is there anything you wanted to say before we start? Okay. I want to welcome everybody to tonight's class. Marx said over and over again, the world's constantly changing. Nature is in motion, and so are we. What was true in the past may not be true now. What was true now may not be true in the future. That's part of Marxism, ever-changing, never static, never the same. Marx used the term consciousness over and over again. And there are levels of consciousness. There was a time when it was automatically understood that people who were born with dark skin were supposed to be not the same as people with white skin, that they were sub below that. Well, science proved that that's ridiculous. It took many years for science to prove that, but it's been scientifically proved. Same thing with climate change. One time we polluted, we didn't think anything of it. We built factories, industrialization in the Soviet Union was the key thing, not pollution. We found out later that that climate pollution causes climate change, and it's detrimental to our species, the human species on the planet Earth, and all species, actually. So, too, with this area called animal rights. When we talk about animal rights, we're talking about species, scientific species. And one species dominates the others. That's the reality right now. And when one species dominates the others and thinks that they're higher than the others, all the laws, all the mores, everything is, is made according to the, the species that's in control. The issue now that we see is whereas one time we saw the ox and the horse as serving the human species. But with scientific studies, we've said that all of these species, all of these different animals in the animal kingdom have feelings of pain and hurt. And therefore, that's all new information. We didn't know that 150 years ago. So that's why we formed an Animal Rights Commission to go deeper into this whole issue. And I'm glad to say many communist parties, including the Communist Party of Ireland, has now taken this up. 
and they're actually seriously going into this subject. That's what tonight's class is about, opening up our minds to a new frontier that chauvinism, whether it's male chauvinism, national chauvinism, or species chauvinism is a thing of the past. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, you, comrades. Thank you. So that's why the title is Why Animal Rights. Um, I have heard conversations and comments complaining about the burden of all of our commissions. And aren't there a few we can get rid of? And of course, right on top of the list is such as animal rights. So that's the purpose of this presentation to uh, even get our own party up to a level of consciousness that is more relevant and more current today. All right, next slide. Uh, this is an introduction that we just want to uh, remind people, as as uh, Comrade mentioned. Uh, this is a dialectical perspective. We're not trying to get into any morals. You know, whether you eat or not is uh, meat is um, not up for debate as far as uh, this presentation goes. Uh, we do make the comment that um, chauvinism, uh, or I should say speciesism, equals chauvinism, and we'll show that with definitions and all. And just to realize that, is there any need for exploitation, oppression, cruelty, no matter how we might uh, think we should use the animals? Um, there should not be any of that. Uh, it is the same as slave labor. They have no um, input into anything. And just to let you know, there is such a thing called culling. Those of you that don't know what it means is, and this is just one example, there are many. If too many wolves are killing sheep, then um, hunters are given a permit to uh, go ahead and hunt uh, wolves uh, a certain amount, so on and so forth, a certain time, so on and so forth. Uh, so that is what's called culling. And there used to be natural culling. In the United States, the amount of deer that were in the United States when the first conquerors came over was nothing compared to the uh, population of the deer nowadays. Why is that? Because they went all over the predators. Now got rid of the wolves, the cougars, the mountain lions, so on and so forth, which what you could call a natural culling. And so we have now have more deer in America than we did in uh, 1492. Just letting you know. All right, go ahead. So uh, again, to reiterate, what we'll be learning today, why the PCUSA, as Marxist-Leninist Communist Party, considers animal rights as an upcoming issue. Many can consider this a new frontier uh, for the workers' movement, although we are not alone in our um, statement. <clears throat> a short historical perspective, again, of the exploitation just viewed through the lens of dialectical materialism and chauvinism, an analysis of the present-day conditions regarding the current exploitation of one species over another. All right, go ahead. All right, dialectics. This is one of many definitions found in the Marxist glossary book by Gould. I recommend everybody get it. There's a whole wealth of information in that glossary. For number two, I picked this one. The process of development in nature and society, which passes from insignificant quantitative changes something imperceptible to open and fundamental changes, i.e. the thought of movement. Things change. 
What was once thought true can change. With scientific discoveries and small incremental changes in a society which must continually be viewed through the lens of dialectical materialism, the level of consciousness on various issues at various times was at a different level. We continually learn and things continually change. For example, you know, you talk about contradictions uh, in dialectics. Here's a good point. Thomas Jefferson owned slaves at the same time that he played a progressive role during the conflict with Britain. He actually stated that when he dies, he'll free his slaves. So these are the kind of contradictions that uh, dialectical materialism tries to help us understand. Uh, as uh, Dr. D'Angelo mentioned, climate change or global warming was not on anyone's agenda until maybe 50 years ago or so. And LGBT activity has been criminalized and decriminalized and criminalized. So this is always a changing function with quite a contradiction. And then the pollution uh, and extinction or endangering of species was not on any early agenda. It is now just uh, getting voice to this is a problem. So this is what we're trying to talk about when you're dealing with dialectical materialism. All right, go ahead. Next slide. Now, the good news is, of course, Marxist-Leninist ideology responds to the continuing changes of material and societal conditions. This allows us to grow. Changes in the Soviet Union were made possible as experience, and the level of consciousness increased their worldview always utilizing the scientific method and dialectical materialism. The Soviet Union was not fearful of changing their main emphasis or direction. They looked at the situation and they determined what the answer should be. So they realized that a popular front strategy was needed in the 30s against fascism. And in the 20s, the emphasis was on class against class struggle. And that's called the third period as far as communists are concerned. So you could say flexible or open for new changes, open for discoveries, uh, however you want to uh, word it. All right, go ahead. Uh, and to help you out, we gave some quotes from Engels. And again, you have to look at Engels because he gives more, and so does uh, Marx, give more than one definition for dialectics. The science of the general laws of motion both of the external world and of human thought. And we underline laws of motion. So nothing is static. And so we can't let our thoughts be static. Lenin on dialectics. The reflection of nature in man's thought must not be understood in a dead manner, i.e. static. Abstractly, without movement, without contradiction but as an eternal process of movement within the emergence of contradiction and their resolution. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So just remember, there is contradiction in a lot of this, and we have to resolve it. All right, throughout history, class struggle has been the main force of change, and this was Marx. Today in the 21st century, the current level of consciousness demands that we include other species that are suffering and oppressed under the yoke of monopoly capitalism. Entire species are extinct or endangered because of monopoly capitalism. And along with that are the side effects of the pollution, 
destruction of habitat, excess of harvesting, etc., which basically uh, do damage to our planet. As communists, to leave behind other oppressed species while we fight for our freedom from oppression sounds hypocritical. How do we justify the ex exclusionist attitude? And this is a quote from an old PCUSA labor brochure, which I like. It's, we leave no one behind. All right, go ahead. What is exploitation? Well, we know that. It's living off another's labor, regardless of the particular species being exploited. Living off a horse's labor, an oxen's labor, is just the same and we are exploiting others. Throughout history, many species were victims of exploitation. We know that. And this is always used to further increase profits through the increased productivity that they are able to achieve because of um, species labor. As newer implements were developed, like the plow, uh, the production, which is labor power, was increased by even more exploitation of other species. So we're just trying to keep our standards straight and not do the exclusion action. Go ahead. And again, historically, brief overview. Here's what we're talking about and have talked about all the time. Exploitation. If you have the slave and master, and then we put in the other species as commodities. They they were thought of as, as less than species. They were, you know, they were commodities, disposables, however you want to do it. Uh, serfs were property, and this was in the feudal times. And as early as the early 1900s, women and children were still the property of the father. All right? And then, of course, our current-day labor, which many of us say is wage slavery. So these, this is in this context that, that we're trying to show the reason why we're picking up the gauntlet as far as animal rights goes. All right, go ahead. All right, in the capitalist and imperialist era, and so many people say, well, it began this time, began that time, so I just put in, we all know what the capitalist and imperialist era would be made up of. Currently, computer simulations can extract the same results that animal tests once provided. But this process is much more expensive. Therefore, the capitalists continue animal testing because it is cheaper and they can pull out or squeeze out more profits. So it's all, all about profits. Factory farming and cash crops are more profitable because the damage to land, soil, air, and water are borne by workers and inhabitants. Corporations get deals from city councils on up to waive taxes and environmental controls, sometimes for years. So who picks up the tab on all the damage? It is our taxes. Meatpacking plants are notorious for worker exploitation, including accidents and deaths. Slaughterhouses, in addition to the above, are noted for above-average domestic violence and suicides. These are horrendous working conditions. Okay, we'll have a little discussion now. And uh, on the right is just a, a chart talking about the number of endangered species is rising. You see it was 8,000 in 2007. It's gone up to almost 17,000 in 2022. 
horrendous, 15 years, and we have more than doubled the number of endangered species since they've been collecting this data. I had to put in this quote from Wikipedia. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. Intensive animal farming, industrial livestock production, and macro farms, also known by opponents, <laughs> worthy opponents, as factory farming, is a type of intensive agriculture, specifically an approach to animal husbandry, designed to maximize production while minimizing costs. Okay, what is missing from this definition? We do not get the minimized costs. The corporations get the maximum profits. They don't, you know, they don't, uh, what do you call it, pass on the savings to us in, in no stretch of the imagination. Okay. So this is the discussion period. Okay. So just looking at the Wikipedia quote, and it talks about at the very end of the sentence, it mentions maximizing production while minimizing costs. Anyone that has a Marxian background would look at that and automatically say, that's by definition what a capitalist is doing when they look at workers, when they treat workers. They try and maximize the profits maximize their surplus labor, maximize everything they can extract out of us while minimizing what they have to pay us. You can look at this and say the same thing about animals as well. That's all. Thank you. Yeah, I was just curious. Do we know what methods the Soviet Union used when it came to, I guess, animals and things like that? You know, I guess as far as methods that we can look at or maybe learn from um and kind of my second and just kind of a quick another quick question was you know as far as talking to people about subjects like this because you know i live in the midwest and a lot of people around here are very um a lot of people like to hunt and they like to you know hunt for their own meat for their for their house and stuff and i can see a lot of people, if you bring up such things as animal rights, they immediately think that, you know, they want they they immediately kind of resort to this idea that, you know, they that you're telling them that that they shouldn't be able to hunt or things like that. You know, I just wondered if there's a very easy way to kind of summarize the idea to them um, kind of just on the subject. OK, let's go back to 1830, 1820, Georgia, those who could afford to have slaves. How dare you tell me, and this was what was said, that I cannot own slaves. I have the money. I could own the slaves. This idea that anybody is told what to do, even if it's not right or, or if it's wrong, that's very American. You're correct. So I find that strange that people say, how dare you tell me I cannot hunt? Well, how dare you tell me that I cannot own slaves? It's no different. Slavery, what we're saying, is one species over another. Another thing that I thought was very interesting, many people that hunt, this has been shown with a lot of studies, are not hunting for their own food. They're hunting for sport. That's exactly why they're hunting. Mm -hmm. Imagine the only thing that separates us from the whale and the elephant. 90 seconds. Is that hey. they communicate with each other with a different language that we could understand. Does that make them less a succinct being? They're still a being with feelings and everything else. Hurt, pain, etc. 
So, and it comes off in the Bible originally. The animals were put here for what reason? To serve us. That's what the Bible says. And we have to be good masters and treat them well. Thank you. Yeah, let me just add a couple of things, too. Animal rights is a huge tent. Now, when we get down to it, one, uh, like people in Alaska, I knew a friend, and uh, her first hamburger was at the age of 14. Before that, she was living where to go anywhere you got in a plane in Alaska. What was she raised on? You know, bear, elk. That's all she had, fish. Um, she never had any kind of processed foods till the age of 14. So the same with the Eskimos, with their whaling and all that. You have to remember, this is a huge tent. What I am saying, let's take the most egregious areas that can provide a discernible change in regards to environment and in regards to cruelty to animals. And this is one thing that's quite selfish, and then I'll, I'll mention again on hunting. If you have a chicken that's only six weeks old, six weeks old, that's the that's normal life, lifespan for a roaster, and they're pumped with everything, okay, for those six weeks to make them three times the size they should be at the end of six weeks, and their uh, nests are not changed, so basically they're breathing in ammonia. So how do you feel about that chicken on your plate? There is a huge amount of work that needs to be done before we even consider whether you should eat 90 seconds or not. And I just want to make sure you understand that. Um, as far as talking to the hunter, I wouldn't even bother. But I would talk about, well, what about that uh, chicken in the, in the um, grocery? Because you're not living on all your, your meat. Let's just talk about that. All right, that's it. All right, thank, thank you, you comrade. Hey, so um, the comrade asked about how animals were treated in the Soviet Union. And there's two things. The first thing I want to note is that the Soviet Union was, as of 1985-89, effectively no longer socialist. And for the majority of their history, they had simply due to the level of consciousness at the time, poor treatment of of the LGBTQIA plus community compared to modern socialist experiments and even many modern capitalist nations and poor treatment of people with certain mental illnesses compared to modern socialist experiments and even many modern capitalist nations. Um, one modern example we can look to, to perhaps not an ideal situation for um, livestock farming, but something certainly much preferable to what we have in the U.S., would be Cuba. Um, in Cuba, it is almost exclusively open range that you will see chicken and cattle and very large fields with the chicken sometimes even having no real fences and just a sort of general area. 90 seconds. The... Okay. And um, what that does result in, though, is that the price of, say, beef in Cuba can be as much as 70 to 80% of what it is in the U.S., as opposed to other foods which are often sold for as little as 10% as they go for in the U.S. 
So one thing we will need to accept is that the total amount of animal products in supply will go down when we start trading them ethically. Okay. All right. Yes. Thanks. Yeah, and I just want to add real quick that I think that that was a great explanation. There's a lot of things that we can look back to the Soviet Union or China or whatever socialist country we want to look to to see what they did right. There's a lot of things that they did wrong at their time. And I love the comrade bringing up things like uh, the, the animal rights, LGBT+, the disabilities in the Soviet Union. This is why we as Marxist-Leninists in 2023 are taking on these things, because we recognize that there are going to be some things that we don't have a good past to look back to. So we have to pioneer in that realm. So one of the things that um, I sort of have a question about on this front is I'm, um, I'm actually kind of glad somebody in the beginning mentioned climate change, because um, obviously um, food, uh, you know, especially um, cattle plays a huge contributing role into climate change. And I read an interesting statistic the other day that said something like uh, it's just 12 percent of Americans that are consuming more than 50% of the beef consumed in the United States, which leads to a huge, you know, climate issue, lots of CO2 and stuff. And so one of the things I'm wondering is how much, you know, does the animal rights stuff feed into that? Can we, can we acknowledge that, you know, something as simple as switching to more majority um, poultry farming and stuff like that might uh, relieve the climate stuff as well. Um, I think you get the idea if you, if you know what I'm saying. Correct. Yeah, I told you it was a big tent and we need a lot of comrades to start unpacking it. So that's what the whole purpose of this uh, presentation. Yes. You know, pull a thread and out comes, you know, 10 other items. All right. Thank you, comrade. Um, I'm so glad we're actually having this class as it explains dialectical materialism and the examples it provides. It's extremely important that we know what dialectical materialism is, and we should approach everything with dialectical materialism. Thank you. All right, thank you, comrade. And yeah, I'll also refer comrades uh, back to a class we had last year on dialectical materialism. If you're a little bit fuzzy on that, I believe that was last October or November. Um, Hey everyone, I am going to give a brief commentary first and then ask a question at the end. So I'm very happy we're having this class on the subject. Where I live, there is actually a place called the California Wolf Center or Julian Wolf Center where they actually raise wild wolves and you can go there. I plan on taking my family there and no joke, the fences that surround it, they're like 14 feet high because a wolf can just hop a 10 or 12 foot fence that can just climb it. And Anyways, they re-release these into the wild. And as another comrade mentioned, there's some people opposed to that. But relating to the issue of politics, socialism, you know, working class movement, another issue was brought up, the agricultural issue. And I think this is really a, a big subject. And this is why I'm glad we're having the, the class because where I'm from is a agricultural area. California is actually very agricultural. I know we know it for Los Angeles and the beaches, but really it's like the breadbasket of the United States. 60 seconds. And, uh, one of the issues now of the modern era is the way food is raised. I heard industrial farming mentioned. 
And there's a lot of marketing schemes like, you know, organic or free range, cage free. And that's what my question is going to be on because cage free, as I understand it, the, the chicken farms can be the size of a football field. As long as it has like a little six foot window of light coming in, it's considered cage free. And so free range means the chickens are actually raised outside. And I've seen a movement now, especially after the weaknesses of COVID uh, showing industry to be weak for people growing their own food and doing free range. And like, and my question is, as I understand it, these kind of chickens are actually healthier. Will we see healthier food now as it relates to the industrial farming? Okay, thank you. Yeah, for the short answer is yes. And we can talk more about the scam in regards to a lot of this um organic cage-free yada yada if we have time but right now uh let's get stay on track as far as um getting to a level of consciousness in regards to why we have to bring it's you know i'll use this um, phrase to bring animals into the fold all right so i think it was something in comrade slides that kind of sparked something i think it was when she was talking about exploitation and I was thinking, um, not just exploitation, but the word scapegoating. And I was thinking of COVID and how we always scapegoat the diseases to be animal infested, that animals did it. But we forget how the animals got to the such concentrated clustering and, and situation. It, it was the human, that animal, that did that. And it wasn't just COVID, but, you know, we had the swine flu, we had mad cow disease, but we, you know, fed cows, other cows. That was humans that did that. It should be called the human disease because they're the ones that started it. Uh, a really interesting fact that I learned in, I guess, medieval times um, when they were persecuting um, uh, Jewish people um, about the bubonic plague. And remember, the bubonic plague was seconds. actually from the fleas that were on the rats. Well, it was superstition that black cats were evil, so they would kill the cats. Well, cats, you know, what they do, they eat mice, which have the fleas. So it was really that, per but they would also blame Jewish people. But it's really like this concentration of like the Catholic Church or whatever that really was pushing that, that kind of caused the bubonic plague. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of find it kind of ironic seconds. but yeah it, it we'll probably hopefully see a change in language from some phrases that i know that we say commonly just kind of how we're changing how we're looking at food differently i miss mm -hmm. eating beef but i don't eat beef anymore i i kind of have my reasons to do that thank you thank you okay i just wanted to talk about you know angles dialectics of nature you know, when that was written, there was no such thing as factory farm and humans were able to have a dialectical relationship with the natural world around us. Now we're in a population of getting close to 8 billion. How can we get back to that point of having a nice relationship with the natural world around us without having to destroy the environment, destroy species, things like this? It's factory farms all the way from L.A. to Sacramento. You yeah. know, I, I don't see a return, but that's it. All right, quick central planning. It's not the it's not the real answer, but it's a good big big portion of it. So we we have not forgotten that. So that's just a quick answer for this. All right, I'm trying to get uh, everybody that we can. All right. Uh, so uh, what I wanted uh, to ask was, 
you mentioned uh, when it came to uh, experimentation that it is that is uh, uh, cheaper uh, to do it with animals. Now, I am not a uh, expert in this, but it's about fifty one cents in uh, electricity costs to store about one uh, one gigabyte of data uh, in the world. So, mm-hmm. how much are they saving on doing animal experimentation? Since you have to put the energy into feeding them, uh, transporting them, uh, sure. uh, understand. Yeah, we have not done uh, an analysis, but boy, that was a good project for the animal rights. So yes, uh, this has only come this come as summaries in uh, many of the articles and books we read. But very good, Isaac. Yeah, I'm going to make a note of that. Uh, that that because we need that to bolster up our claims. So I agree with you. Yeah, I just wanted to say real briefly that I think that this is going to be a really important thing for Marxist Leninists specifically to get down a good line on. Because the way I see it right now, we have to strike a dialectical balance between industry and nature. And we see that now. And you're going to have the capitalists, the imperialists are going to go all on the industry side, not care about nature. We see this even in the midst of this climate catastrophe. But on the other side, you're going to have a lot of these ultra leftists that are embracing things like degrowth or they're embracing these kind of ideas that uh, basically go all in the way of nature and just demonize industry completely. And mm-hmm. we don't need to do either of those extremes. We need to find the dialectical balance. So I'm glad we're having this class. Uh, Comrade Angela, is there anything you needed to say before we go back to the presentation? Very, very important. Lenin said there were times when you, you would try to have a revolution and there were times when you should not because the time is not ripe. Timing is everything. The time is not ripe. At the time in history that the Soviet Union was industrializing, no one ever thought about what it would do to the lakes and the rivers of Russia. That wasn't part of the mind concept. Wasn't part. The level of consciousness wasn't there. So Lake Bakal, the largest, largest lake on the earth, and I know it's in Europe, the largest one, was polluted. Fish were dying. Soviet Life magazine, which was a magazine that was published in this country when the Soviet Union was around, even it admitted that the ecology was terrible in the early Soviet period. Doesn't mean they were bad. It means that the mindset was not there. The mindset was not there in the South about slavery because you're a different color. The mindset was not there that because you love somebody of the same sex, then that's wrong. It just wasn't there. And so with this whole issue of species, 90 it's seconds. not there. And there's going to be others that are going to be coming up. Right. Thank you, comrade. We'll go ahead and jump back to the presentation now. Chauvinism and speciesism. This is important. This is part of our ideology. So go ahead. Next slide. All right. <clears throat> now, this again, chauvinism is right from our own Marxist uh, glossary, and it's in quotes here. One of the forms of imperialist ideology, specifically imperialist conquest and oppression, designed to create among the masses hatred and contempt for other peoples, 
races, and nations. It is therefore that capitalists use the supposed idea of human superiority as a method or reason for the mistreatment of animals in society. Now then, in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, here is what they say about speciesism. A form of chauvinism that places the human race above that of another species. Prejudice or discrimination based on species, especially discrimination against animals. The assumption of human superiority on which speciesism is based. So, I mean, this is right from the Merriam Dictionary. You, you can't get away from it. Uh, chauvinism is speciesism. All right, go ahead to the next slide. And this is just another reminder in our pledge down at the bottom there, uh, you know, against uh, anti-Soviet sentiments and uh, we struggle for the rights of all nationally oppressed people against anti-Soviet sentiments and behavior, anti-communism, racism, misogyny, ageism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, police brutality, discrimination against the disabled, and to struggle against the chauvinist lies of the capitalist class that is in our pledge. And we are to struggle against the chauvinist lies. Also to let you know that of our you know, many commissions, some are more prominent than others, um, or more active than others, depending on the situation, that animal rights was always there since we have formed this party. This is not a newcomer to our party. It might be a newcomer to a level of consciousness. Okay, go ahead, next slide. Okay, now here's where what Dr. D'Angelo was talking about, Communist Party of Ireland. Now, this is from author Raymond. There are, of course, bourgeois forms of feminism, LGBT plus activism, anti-racism, etc., that are actively opposed to the emancipation of the working class and hostile to communism. This is not in doubt. And so what they're saying, a lot of good issues are covered by bourgeois forms. But the bourgeois are actively opposed to the emancipation of the working class and hostile to communism. Again, this humongous, um, oh, what do you call it, contradiction. But this is no excuse to communists. So it says, however, it does not follow that the struggles of women, trans comrades, victims of racism, and other forms of bigotry and prejudice are in any way counter-revolutionary or anti-communist simply because simply because exists a bourgeois interest who attempt to co-opt them so it's no excuse for us to say we're not going to touch lgbt anti-racism because the bourgeois have those issues that is stupid so what he says is to think and act otherwise is to fall into the trap of chauvinism otherwise you know that we are better than the bourgeois and because they touch these issues we're not going to touch them i mean you know that that's ridiculous okay now this is a quote from the animal liberation and this is our educational foundation right now because we do not have many communist foundations to learn about speciesism so this is another thing that the communist party has to work on most human beings are speciesists 
The following chapters show that ordinary human beings, not a few exceptionally cruel or heartless humans, but the overwhelming majority of humans take an active part in, acquiesce in, and allow their taxes to pay for practices that require the exploitation and suffering of other species in order to promote the most trivial interests of our own species. As communists, we really have to avoid chauvinism like the plague. All right, go ahead, next slide. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and start off. Um, yeah, as we talked about in the first class, a lot of what we've talked about today regarding the animals is livestock and raising and the whole kind of factory large-scale form, which in previous studies, we've seen the Soviet Union did do large-scale agriculture. And at one point in time, in another organization, we studied a work of Kim Il-sung right at, at the year 1990, where he was actually criticizing Hungary, the, the goulash communism of doing small-scale farming. He said that was wrong. And Kim Il-sung even said, in the United States, even the capitalist agriculture is done at a large scale and not individual farming, which I think we're all for people growing stuff in their yards and things. But when it comes to actual farming, the reason why this is a, a pretentious issue today is in our country, the United States, we could say Bill Gates has become the largest landowner and it's reminiscent of Guatemala in the fifties under like Arbenz when there was the coup and so my question, well, is it a question? I guess it's a comment because the, the large-scale agriculture is good, but the way the model of it is not good because I worked for UFCW, United Food and Commercial Workers Union. And one thing I know is throughout the country, uh, they're trying to organize like the meat plants and things like that. And by the way, there aren't that many meat packing plants and other agricultural sites. But what's strange is our country, seconds. the capitalists bring in people from other countries and I'm not even talking about South Americans. Like if you go to the Midwest, the stereotype is like the American Gothic photo of like a, <laughs> a farmer and his wife. But you actually go there and it's like people from Congo. Anyways, I, I don't know if I have a question or comment. Does anyone want to comment on that? Okay. Uh, you're absolutely correct. We um, One of the unions in India wanted our agricultural commission to talk about the peasants of the United States. Well, this was only a couple of years ago. And so we had to break the news to them in our, and we did give them a seminar. I think we still have the recording somewhere where we said, hey, folks, uh, there are no peasants because uh, uh, capitalists took it over. And so we outlined to them what the problems were with anyone that calls themselves a farmer. Uh, any farmer in the United States has a second job so they can support their farm, period, end of discussion. You're not going to find anybody that makes a living, the small farmer that makes a living wholly from their farming. And so what we did was we warned them and they got it. I mean, we had about 75 people from the union, uh, the peasants union in India. And we said, be careful, because, of course, their government is trying to buy up lots of land so that American uh, capitalists can come in and start the big agribusinesses that they have over here. And they took it seriously, understood what we were saying. 
but um, that's the revelation. And, and what bothered us, this was a couple of years ago, is the fact of the lack of information that other countries have about what has happened to us. I don't know if that answers your comment at all. Up in uh, northwest Arkansas, we have Tyson. And yes, Tyson plant, according to latest count during COVID, this sounds unbelievable, but I'm just going by what I read. 182 types of dialects or uh, uh, languages are in one meatpacking facility. Why? Because they can't talk to each other. And they were, in quotes, essential workers. They're, they're, they were treated so horribly, you just don't even want to go into it. But the COVID and uh, what they, the accidents and everything. So, I mean, uh, that is what we are doing. So, we and because they can do that up in the northwest corner of Arkansas, who goes there? All right. So, I don't know if that helps, Chris. That's all. All right. Thank you, comrades. Um, I know the previous comrade talked about how they could talk to hunters. And I think what brought up was good that on this issue, oftentimes you can't. But one thing I still want to note is that at one point in the old party, the total number of people in the mass orgs was more than double what it was in the party. And the strengthening of any mass org strengthens the party as a whole. So even the people who you can't get on certain issues, it's still worth talking to about the things you can. Right. Thank you. Right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, yeah, from the last section on um, uh, consciousness, I, I just wanted to bring up that, um, you know, here, I, again, I, I can't speak for any other uh, country. I don't know how their practices are. But one thing I do know is the U.S. has a very high consumption of meat and dairy. And it's said that it's, uh, you know, um, very crucial that we eat a lot of meat and drink a lot of milk. However, if, if that were true, you wouldn't have to see. I, I grew up in when I went to school. You had all the propaganda all over the school. You had the banners that said "Got milk" with the the mustache, yeah. um, and uh, you you see all these uh, cartoons about you better eat your meat or you can't go to bed or whatever. Um, you know, so I I just wanted to mention that that yeah I just wanted to mention that that's part of what forms our consciousness in the U.S. is all this stuff we were grown up with, indoctrinated with. Right. Agree wholeheartedly. We'll talk a little more about that, too, later. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. Uh, one, like to respond to what I was asking earlier, like why it's cheaper to use animal models. Uh, this is just speculation on my part, but probably because like owning that technology and software to do those tests is a uh, expensive to develop and think through and it takes research to do it. So it's probably proprietary knowledge for one thing so that these companies have an incentive to develop it and make a profit off of it. Whereas like animals are so widely available and so cheaply available that I think it really is cheaper just to, you know, do the testing on animals. Yep. Yeah. That's one of the reasons. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So, um, in the family private property in the state, I believe it is that that, that specific work. Um, 
pardon, I got caught off guard. Angles, uh, he uh, essentially, uh, he, he puts that a, a major part of human development was when humans, uh, when uh, or the precursor of the human race began to consume meat, that the materials um, in the meat that they were consuming eventually helped develop the human brain to the point where it would develop uh, more into more intellectual thought, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Marx and Engels had a lot of uh, a lot of pre uh, out, or outdated beliefs uh, at, the, at the time, because of course they would. You know, for example, uh, there was one belief that, that they that they held that, that I believe um, where they believed that Native Americans, you know, in Engels's analysis of the uh, Iroquois Confederacy, uh, where he believed that uh, Native seconds. Americans were where Native Americans literally had smaller heads. Not that they were stupid. You know, he didn't believe that they were inferior in intelligence. They just literally believed that like Native Americans had smaller heads. So I'm just wondering if if that specific uh, part of Engels's uh, idea is has turned out to be outdated, or if that is uh, a key de- detail in human development. That's all. Thank you. And again, that is something that we can explore. However, I will say this, that uh, we have, since the beginning of time, we have um, our, what do you call it, molars as well as our canines. I don't think we were just meat eaters for tens of thousands of years. We were definitely grain eaters. So I sort of discount that. But it's good. It's a good question to make sure that uh, we understand. And I saw a lot of other hands go up. Yeah, how about we take about two more hands and then we'll get back to the presentation and any that we don't get, uh, we can get back to. Uh, Comrade General Secretary Angelo from New York, you have the floor. Yeah, remember something, that the Mediterranean diet, the diet of peoples, my forefathers in Italy and in the Adriatic Sea, lived much, much, much longer than Americans. And many of the reason is because of not eating beef, not eating meat, instead concentrating on fish. That's one thing. The next thing is that it has been proven by scientists that fish is actually better for the brain. That has been proven by scientists. Mm. And it could be disproven by new science that comes out in the future. But right now, that's that's the whole thing about science. It's constantly changing because new information is coming up. So it just goes to show you how we changed on that level, mm-hmm. um, that we thought meat was the best thing since sliced bread. And now we think fish is much better than that. And we prove it by pointing to Mediterranean diets and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I have friends that are vegetarian. They mm-hmm. are healthier than I am. And I want to mention that. And my problem is instead of eating meat, I'd rather eat sugar, which has bad side effects, of course. I'd rather have sugar and uh, and wheat, which is uh, cake. And so that's very bad for diabetics. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that one of the reasons why it's, it's cheaper because medical equipment costs a lot. i give you an example. A mark heart um, to text a defibrillator in like a patient room, the wire costs $50. That's the wire that connects the machine to plug the machine. Cost fifty dollars. I don't know how much it costs today, but that's how much it cost ten years ago. Fifty dollars. Um, and um, our teeth. I guess to let you know, our teeth is more similar to the animals who are fruitivores. That's why, like in the not yeah. grain, uh, no, grain eaters. Right. Absolutely. 
Okay, right. hang on, folks, and uh, we'll get you next go around. It, there's only a few uh, slides per discussion, so hang on. Okay, so we're down to reality changes, and that's where we are right now, current day. All right, again, some quotes. Animal liberation, Peter Singer. How can anyone who has not made a thorough study of the topic possibly know that the problem of animal suffering is less serious than problems of human suffering? But pain is pain. And the importance of preventing unnecessary pain and suffering does not diminish because the being that suffers is not a member of our species. What would we think of someone who said that whites come first and that therefore poverty in Africa does not pose as serious a problem as poverty in Europe? And this is another quote from uh, Peter Singer. If human problems come first, I cannot help wondering what exactly it is that they are doing for human beings that compels them to continue to support the wasteful, ruthless exploitation of other species. As communists, we are late on the scene. The bourgeoisie had been on the scene since 1866 in the U.S. I think that was the ASPCA. Does this mean that we have nothing to offer as communists? And I put in a few here thoughts for us. Uh, if we want to be the value added, uh, what do you call it, in the forefront, what about central planning? I consider that an absolute great motive to prevent a lot of the things and keep a lot of the um, exploitation, oppression, so on and so forth under control. Eliminating the private motive. I don't know what comes first, eliminating or what about central planning? They are both good. And what about the liberation of all exploited workers, regardless of the species? I mean, yes, we have horse racing. We have dog racing. Talk about trivial pursuits. And you know how um, the, the horses are always poisoned, especially if they're really good. And, and then we're talking about all the labor, whether it's an elephant, you know, um, what do you call it? Packing up uh, tree trunks or oxen. You know, there are what we could call exploited workers in other species. So these are just thoughts if we're looking for, well, what can we do? All right. I'll go ahead. Next one. Okay. This was interesting. Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. All right. Now we're talking about current events. As a business gets larger, it begins to enjoy a different kind of advantage, having less to do with efficiencies of operation and more to do with its ability to wield economic and political power by itself or in conjunction with others, i.e. monopoly. In other words, a firm may not actually become more efficient as it gets larger, but may become better at raising prices or keeping out competitors. And they're certainly not for our benefit, obviously. This is as true in agriculture as in other sectors. The overall trend of increasing consolidation in the meat industry has continued since 2000, evolving into what today is a highly concentrated global meat complex controlling inputs, production, and processing of mass quantities of food animals. 
reports of the USDA's Economic Research Service and Grain Inspection, Packers and Stockyards Administration, and that's a whole you know mouthful, but it's basically the GIPSA out of the USDA, was shuttered, it was taken down by the Trump administration in 2016. We have no new data since 2016. So this is how bad it is getting. We have no current data on just what the big four are doing. Okay, go ahead. Next one. All right, uh, we can stop here. I see three hands up. Let's do that, and then we'll come back to here. Thanks. Solidarity, everybody. So one thing when it comes to animal rights and hunters and fishermen and all that, one thing we would have to take into account is cultural and regional autonomy because if we did have a proletariat revolution today we wouldn't be able to just you know pass legislation and that everybody would accept you know our take on animal rights mm -hmm. then it would just uh muster some uh very viral reactionary reasons that would cause a bunch of probably unnecessary bloodshed over animal rights which wouldn't be there would be a better way to go about it so i mean we would just have to you know you guys can hunt fish this that and other but we would be they would have to allow us i guess to argue our position and take it up for a referendum every so often so that's just one thing i thought about uh that's probably would be the best way to do it instead of just you know seeking just hegemony and try to suppress reactionary opposition to our take even if we do have the right position and we haven't been able to convince the majority of people in certain geographical regions we would just have to you know it, it would take it would take time so we would it, it wouldn't happen overnight so we have to be a gradual process mm -hmm. in my opinion because like i said it's in motion so things are it's it's a dialectic so not everyone would accept it right away i mean people would have to do a, a lot of unlearning and relearning yeah it is a slow process right and the right. thing here is there's so many egregious issues that even hunters will agree on need to change so we address the all the you know horrendous common issues that are uh, a problem that develops level of consciousness and uh yeah and then we can look further afield and um yeah to the last thing we want to do is mandate. That's, you know, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Go ahead. All right. Thank you, comrades. Uh, Comrade General Secretary Angelo from New York, give the floor. Okay. I want to remind everybody here. Violence happens many times over issues. The Southerners, mostly, in the 1820s, could not understand why the Northern would tell them you can't own slaves. Did not understand that. We have a tradition, we have a culture in the South of owning slaves. That's a fact. Everybody knows that. Therefore, we're not going to change that. Just remember that. In Europe, in the 1930s, Germans felt they had the right, because of their Nordic superiority, to control Europe. That was a fact. Taught in their schools. They were the chosen people the original chosen people, and therefore they had the right to rule Europe. It caused the war. Others said, you have no right. So violence does happen. 
many times over these issues. That's all I want people to look at. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. And I also just wanted to add real quick, I do appreciate what comrade said about the cultural and like regional autonomy when it comes to this issue. Because as we've discussed, you know, there are like uh, indigenous, you know, tribes and just different uh, cultures around the world that don't have like just supermarkets right next to them or <laughs> the kind of means to go ahead and uh, get all the food that we have. And our big thing for fighting for animal rights is stopping like the main capitalist imperialist manifestations of this with factory farming and, you know, it, meat going halfway across the world just to, you know, land on a person's kitchen one night out of the year. Like this is an issue that we want to take on the the biggest uh, impacts of it rather than try to, you know, manipulate whatever smaller groups of people. And and the, and the general secretary is right, too. There are things that inevitably kind of lead to conflicts. And when it comes to speciesism, there's going to become a point where certain people that do not agree may have to be met with some sort of consequence, at the very least. Um, that is a possibility into the future with anything. It could be for any up and coming issue. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, no, I think that's a really good point about the uh, about respecting traditions and cultural differences uh, there. You know, I'm from Canada and a common talking point against veganism or vegetarianism is, well, what about indigenous people and fishing or hunting or whatnot? And I hear that often from other people that are not indigenous, especially you know, settler background. And that's, I find, I think that it's often used as a bad faith talking point to just rationalize people's ability to continue hoovering down cheeseburgers um, instead of engaging with subject matter in a more respectful way. I think that the Big Ten co uh, comments that uh, number of times are, are really important that, you know, it would be nice to say there's no baby steps. You just go straight to the end, but I don't think that that's really how any change uh, works, un unfortunately. And I think that um, in fighting this fight in favor of uh, better animal rights, that it's important to not weaponize other cultures in that the ideological battle of going back and forth. Because I think that generally the problems of factoring farming and animal rights or lack thereof are tied more to you know, colonialism, capitalist traditions, it's not coming from the Quechua. It's not coming from the Inuit. It's not coming from the Haida in, in general. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But I, I don't think that there's a heck of a lot of ownership of the big factory farms by, you know, small indigenous groups and whatnot. <laughs> I don't know. In general, I just think it's really important to stay in your lane, so to speak, and like, let's worry about the colonizer problems. And maybe at the end, there's some some work that can come. But I don't know. I think we've got a few generations of work ahead of us anyway. Just to clean up our own Thank house. you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. And glad to see a new member, especially a new member from Canada. Glad you were able to make it to the school. Yeah. So just without having to resort to outright banning animal products to effective things that we could do to, you know, incentivize or pressure the general public to reduce their consumption of them is of course, as in Cuba, simply making them the more disproportionately expensive option. But then also we could recreate what the Soviet Union did with alcohol, where 
I know it sort of became a meme today to look at those early Soviet propaganda posters of, you know, Het and the people refusing vodka. But <laughs> in all reality, during the 20 year period that those were issued, Russian alcohol consumption went down by more than 50%. All right. Thank you, comrade. Definitely agree with that. A little uncomfortable with the subject, I, and I'm not sure if I agree with what everyone says here. I mean, like, and I'm a picky eater, and like, I try to eat healthy and everything, but I uh, eat a lot of beef and uh, chicken, and like, and uh, a lot of things that are like vegetarian or vegan meals don't like really appeal to me. I like eating vegetables and everything, but it's not, except for sometimes pasta and stuff, and but I don't like consider like, uh, vegan and vegetarian stuff as a full meal and everything and i'm not sure like and and i uh, support animal rights but you know what i'm not sure what it means about speciesism and under what circumstances i'm sorry for under what circumstances animals are exploited it's a bit confusing uh we said in the beginning we are not trying to make anyone here a vegan period there is so much that has to be done before we even get to that stage of whether we want to promote that or what. We can leave that by the side and we still have 99% of the work to do. This is about exploitation. Uh, this is about having a chicken that has been, you know, breathing in ammonia for six weeks okay. and then now is on our plate. So no, we're not trying to make vegans out of everybody. I don't eat as much meat as I used to, but I still eat meat, okay? Okay, thanks. Right. No problem. All right, what I said in the beginning was we are stuck with bourgeois education because there's not enough communist education out there on this subject. So keep that in mind. So we're taking what we can from this, but yes, uh, Singer would not even have a pet because he considered that exploitation. I mean, so there's a huge, like I say, we're stuck with these kind of resources. We're just trying to get a level of, uh, what do you call it, consciousness on why the Communist Party really needs to at least address this in its most egregious forms. Does that help? Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. No problem. Absolutely. Thank you, comrade. And I also want to add real quick, uh, just the fact that, you know, science is changing constantly and a lot of our, you know, food preparation is going to change. And even right. though a lot of people right now don't like the, you you know, beyond meat type things, those foods are slowly getting better. And, you know, I think that we just have to kind of be open-minded too, uh, as time goes on about these things. Uh, Comrade General Secretary Angelo, and then we'll go ahead and get back to the presentation. Yeah, uh, two, two things I want to mention to everybody. Number one is science, very important to communists, really is. Yes. They are practicing on, and a lot of Christian people are objecting to it because it's changing their world. Their world is around a God. Their world is around Jesus. We are made in the form of Jesus. This is their ideology, and they, they were born with this viewpoint from their parents. Now there are scientists who are making animals material without animals in the lab. You must have heard this. It's mm -hmm. all over the news. Where it's going to go, I don't know. But knowing science and how they could change everything, 
the computer is a perfect example. My whole world has changed because of the computer. Uh, the world that I knew, the world that I organized as a communist for 60 years, with the computer is entirely different. That's going to happen in other areas of science, not just computers. But I want to end it with this. What kind of a society would deliberately blind animals that do not hurt us like a rabbit in order to put makeup on our faces? What kind of society? Well, I'll know what the Soviets were very, very big on this from the very beginning, that it doesn't matter what we look on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And for 20, 30, 40 years, during the time of um, the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, Davies, uh, his wife uh, went, and in the movie Mission to Moscow, to a place that dealt with cosmetics. And cosmetics were an upcoming thing in the Soviet Union, but it was not an important issue. It was more important to get a car because you needed a car to take you from A to B, not that the car was a sexy car and you stood in front of the car and you looked good. That's the <laughs> difference. That was the big difference between this, the way a communist looks at it. Uh, we, we tend to be utilitarians. You all know what that is. We are into things for what we can use them for, not into this uh, sexy crap that if we go, we have, we have a certain car that we're going to get a certain girl or guy or whatever. So <laughs> I just <laughs> want to mention that the whole cosmetic industry is not for our health. It's to make people look better and they make a lot of money on it. Revlon and all these companies. That's all I want to say. They make billions in profits. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. We'll go ahead and get back to the presentation just to finish it off. Yeah, we we're talking about other parties. What you see here is uh, it's called the Socialist Voice. It is the um, uh, website for the Communist Party of Ireland. And this was one of their articles. And I love their title, Kill Capitalism, Not Animals. All right. And I, I put in the URL there because it's a great, it's a great, uh, what do you call it, article. But in that article, they had a quote from Angela Davis. And um, I think that uh, she says it very well. The food we eat masks so much cruelty. The fact that we can sit down and eat a piece of chicken without thinking about the horrendous conditions under which chickens are industrially bred in this country is a sign of the dangers of capitalism. How capitalism has colonized our minds. The fact that we look no further than the commodity itself, the fact that we refuse to understand the relationships that underlie the commodities that we use on a daily basis. And that's all we're trying to say is, you know, look at everything before that chicken leg is on your plate. And let's see what we can do to stop the most egregious. All right, go ahead. So, again, we should add to all of our uh, classes what is to be done. At the stage of this presentation, we will be happy, us in the animal rights, if there is unity within our own PCUSA 
that all species subject to exploitation, oppression, and suffering under the capitalist quest for profits be recognized as workers. And of course, some people have said, well, what do you mean? You know, the chicken I eat, I have to consider it a worker. No. All right. We talked about animals for food, but there are so many animal workers, whether they be the horse, the oxen, the dog, whatever, that we should incorporate them as being exploited. And I feel that promoting central planning talking about examples, talking about how things can happen, is one of the predominant communist values that we can use to make a difference, eliminate the needless exploitation of our land, which is the result of all of this, uh, the defoliation of our lands, and the needless suffering of all species. So this is what we're trying to get to. Folks, you know, we're not asking you to be a vegan, but at least be a supporter of animal rights when they are abused, oppressed, so on and so forth. And so then I just want to remind you, the Animal Rights Commission is PCUSA. We meet monthly because we have a lot to learn, so it's we're not going bi-monthly yet. And it's the third Wednesday of the month, and we're currently using animal liberation, animal rights issue. But right now, this is the one we're reading, and it's a long book, but um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And our, our mission is just to incorporate all species in the struggle against capitalism. Just another, this is something you can put together. We do like it. It looks a little bit like a forestry service, but we still like it. We haven't used it yet. And then another Angela Davis quote. I think there is a connection between the way we treat animals and the way we treat people who are at the bottom of the hierarchy. Okay, and that would be the communist hierarchy, not our hierarchy. Okay, I think that's it. All right, thank you. And I, I want to add something real quick, and it'll probably be the last time I go ahead and speak tonight. You know, this subject is one of those ones that, of course, is, you know, one that we're pioneering on. It's new for communists. There isn't much writing on it. And so there's going to be disagreement on it, and there's going to be confusion on it, and there's going to be... Uh, even some people that are reluctant to follow, you know, the PCUSA's line on it. It's it's very similar to the LGBT plus issue. It's something that the level of consciousness is increasing on. And, you know, we welcome some disagreement and some discussion about it in the people's school, because that's definitely the place to uh, discuss these things. But we do have to discuss them. Uh, we have to discuss the current world just as much as 10, 20, 100, 200 years ago if not even more, because we're living in it. This is what we're doing. Uh, this is what we're dealing with. So I just want to say that it's it's a really important subject for us to, to learn on. And I'm also really happy that the Animal Rights Commission is doing this kind of uh, necessary work uh, in the party. I'll go ahead and take the hands that we have up. Thank you. And I'm glad you brought that quote from Angela Davis on. I think that's a really good one. And I think one concept that I think is useful in thinking about, you know, this is a chicken on your plate. Is it just a burger or is it? No, it's the chain of, well, suffering and exploitation of people and animals and environment along the way. I don't know how it would work theoretically grounded enough to know, but I think that commodity fetishism is a concept that I think is useful in looking at animal products as well, that it's not just like a coat isn't just worth some value. It's 
also all the things that went into it. I think that the chicken burger is not just a meal. It's all the whole chain of degradation that came uh, before that. And I think also one other point on that I, I think is really uh, important in the context of organizing slaughterhouses and meatpacking places is that those are some of the jobs that have extremely high rates of like suicide and PTSD. And so even the people that are exploited in order to do the exploitation of making it so that we just get to open up a package of steak, that I think is a really important part of the hierarchy here that there's, I don't know, the people that are carrying out mechanized slaughter pay a real cost. And most of those time, those people aren't going to choose between being a lawyer and being in a slaughterhouse. I mean, it's up to kid workers too, or can be. Anyway, thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. If there's any questions or comments, anything you're not sure about, maybe you just didn't agree on, maybe something that you want to add. What did you say again? We're just like tackling the most extreme issues or something like that? Egregious is what I used. Oh, yes. Thanks. Uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, there's so much to touch before we ever get to veganism versus non-veganism, you know? That's all I'm okay, saying. Okay, thanks. Just a thought I had through this class. I thought it was really good, a lot of things that I never thought of before. But I think we need to realize how companies that offer vegan food often commoditize the like mindset of veganism or the moral make a moral call for it where they charge more than, yes. than chicken sometimes or other ways get our calories where they try to use our morality against us mm -hmm. to get as much profit as possible. Thank you. Yes, you're talking about the guilt trip. What we're trying to promote here is responsibility, not the guilt trip. All right. And if you go on the Internet and you go into, oh, like food trucks or or restaurants, you know, the, the capitalists part, they will tell you that um, meat is the most expensive item for any restaurant and that the more that you can sell this whole vegan bit, again, we don't get the minimal cost down to us. The restaurants look at it as keep the profit margin work on the guilt, and also, you know, like uh, the chauvinism, I'm a better person because I'm a vegan. They use that to exploit us. And yeah, you still spend as much as you do if you got um, a restaurant a la carte that had meat in it. So you're absolutely correct. That is a problem. Okay. And again, something we have to address. They're, if they're capitalists, they're going to go for profits. And if they can sneak in, because they don't have to have any meat in it, they're going to do it. So thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. The emphasis on chauvinism, I think, is a really, um, really important factor for a lot of people to understand how the struggle expands to other areas of our lives. I think that the, um, the section on the commodification of, of these things and how the capitalists have, uh, have, have used it to sort of pacify these movements have can sort of be expanded upon. I see that in a lot of other aspects of our lives. I, I feel you. that this presentation has very much resonated. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. And thank you, everybody, for your different comments and questions tonight. Once again, I want to thank the uh, Animal Rights Commission 
for their wonderful presentation. It's always great when we have these different commissions from the PCUSA. We have these comrades collectively work on it, try to give us the best uh, line that the PCUSA is developing on these things. Um, so before we go ahead and play the ending song for tonight, uh, Comrade Angelo from New York, is there anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I just want to mention that we have connections with international communist parties. We, we're very active with a group called the World Anti-Imperialist Platform, which is a concerted effort by the parties in Venezuela, the governing parties in Venezuela and in other countries to fight against U.S. imperialism. Really important. So we're on the right track. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank everybody for showing up. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit. <laughs>